Hello, and welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, March 3rd, 2019, we're continuing our series titled, Walk This Way from 2 Timothy. Today's sermon, Know Your Audience, is going to be taught to us by Pastor Jeff Stevens from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 22 through 26. We hope you enjoy. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Thank you so much for the family that you have given to us. Why is Dad giving that guy a blanket? Hold the door for Grandma Jay. Thank you. I got you. I got you. We thank you for the privilege that we have of serving you and to be disciples. I'm so sorry, baby girl. Let's try again, okay? Go ahead and ease it forward. It's okay. Let's go. Come on. I got you. Good job. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. How many of you would be so bold as to raise your hand and say that you personally love Jesus Christ? And I want you to know something. This message today, it's not for the nudging on your left or your right. This message is to you, the people who raise their hands. I raise my hand. I'm talking to myself today. I'm talking to you from God's word because in context, just as Thomas spoke last week, it starts in verse 14 and it says, remind them. I want you to know that all of you who raised your hands, you're the them. And so we're going to go through a reminder. And and even in the simplicity of this message, there is such great profundity in this truth that we're going to unfold today. But ultimately, I want you to be thinking in the back of your head as we're going through this message is I want you to be asking yourselves, what will history say about you? If If someone were up here and we were actually eulogizing you, what would they say about you? Would they say that you are a lover of Christ? And so this is the remind them that we're going to talk about today. I think that it deals a lot with this seal that he talks about in verse 19. Our text today will be really is is 22 through 26, but... But, but it's to understand its beauty and its loveliness of its truth, I think we have to remind ourselves again, even what Thomas said. So I'm going to go 60,000 feet over that, and then we'll dig into it when we get to um, verse uh, 22. So, but turn with me, if you would, to 2 Timothy 2. We're going to start reading in verse 19. It says this. It says, but God's firm foundation stands. That is such great news, right? God's firm foundation stands. In spite of anything that's going on, no matter what you see on the news, whatever's happening in the world, what was true then is still true today. God's foundation is firmly standing. And it's bearing this seal. We're going to talk about this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Before I go to verse 20, 
If, if you were probably, I don't know how old, but you can probably remember back, there used to be a guy named David Horowitz, and David Horowitz used to have this television show, and the television show was called Fight Back. And what Horowitz did is he was this nationally syndicated show that his main technique was to assess whether a product or a service, service's claims were accurate. This is why I asked you, what will history say about you? Because today, in our own self-examination with this word, we want to ask ourselves, do we have this seal that God has talked about? Do we have, in a sense, the Good Housekeeping Institute, the seal of approval that the product of our salvation, the person of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Master, is an accurate depiction of who you are? It's critically important that we not only be a person of Christ in these walls, but we'll see how important it is outside of these walls. So in verse 20, he says, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some of, for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Are we, in fact, useful to the master for every good work? So here's our text. Verse 22. Because of all this, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Let me pray before we jump into this. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. I pray that we would be faithful to what you call us to be, that we will be well reminded of what it means to proclaim the name of Christ and what he wants from us as approved workers honorable vessels, and Lord, that we would be servants of the God that is the most high. Help us, Lord, to grow in your grace and in the knowledge of your Son. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Illustratively, I want to take you back in a place of time in my life. I was nine years old, and my grandfather, like all great-grandfathers, you know, um, decided it was time to teach me as a nine-year-old how to drive. I loved the opportunity. Um, he took me in this little town in Marshall, Missouri. It's in the dead center of the state of Missouri. And he took me to this little cemetery. And his main reason, of course, for taking me to the cemetery is he says, we'll teach you how to drive here. You can't hurt anybody. <laughs> and so we literally drove for hours and hours around that old cemetery dirt roads um, I just enjoyed every moment of it and the conversations with my grandfather and even over the summers that would come. But my grandfather finally, towards the end of driving, he stopped and he wanted to tell me, 
I brought you here for more than just learning how to drive. I brought you here because I want to teach you how to live your life. And he says, and it's important. He says, so let's get out of the truck. He walked me down all these grave markers. And we came to this one particular grave marker. And he says, he says, do you see that? I look down and it's my grandfather's name and my grandmother's name. Both with their start dates, a little dash, and no end dates. And he says, he says, son, I want to tell you about the dash and the importance of the dash. He says, because that dash is ultimately your performance review. One day you're going to graduate. You're going to go into the eternity with God. He says, and where you will stand before him will be an evaluation of your dash. He says, I also want you to come back and visit. I won't be here. I'll be, my body will be here. But I will be standing in the throne room of Christ. I want you to know, he said, that I won't be watching over you because my eyes will be singularly focused on the beauty and the loveliness of Christ. So much taught to a nine-year-old. It was later in life because my family, my immediate family, didn't even darken the door of a church. As a youth pastor poured his life into me and showed and modeled for me the person of Jesus Christ. He was kind to me. Something that I wasn't used to experiencing. And it reminds me of this text in the fullness of the context. Because the reminder that Timothy was to deliver is written in seven different imperatives. He starts in verse 14 with remind them. In verse 15, he says, be diligent. In verse 16, he says, shun. In 19, he says, depart. In verse 22, our text today, he says, flee. Also in verse 22, he says, pursue. And in verse 23, he says, avoid. It is noteworthy that after the initial instruction to remind them, and the remind them is all of us who raise our hands here today. He, the next six instructions are, uh, four of the next six are in the negative shun, depart, flee, and avoid. They are the things that Timothy is to remind faithful believers from which they are to abstain. The things, these things that Timothy was to remind them of reflects back to um, chapter 2, verse 11, when he says that there's a faithful saying. If we died with Christ... We live with him. I want that to sink in. Because if we have set aside our desires and we cling to the person of Jesus Christ, then we live with him not only here, but we will live with him in all eternity future. The instructions to build on the warning that he gave, Paul began the previous section, uh, chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, as Pastor Mark Yule talked about, there were three metaphors of the Christian faithfulness. He used the metaphors of a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. Today, his metaphors are going to be a worker, a vessel, and a servant. 
because that's ultimately who we are. We differentiate ourselves from the rest of the world by being a worker of Christ, by being a vessel of honor and being a servant to the Lord. You see, our job is to handle the word of God accurately. It's not just my job as a minister, as a preacher of God's word, but certainly one of the primary responsibilities if I'm gonna stand here and tell you the word of God. It's why we as a church do expository teaching. We literally take the text and go through it word by word because we don't wanna miss one intentional word that God inspired these men who wrote these words down. We start to realize that we give examples, as Thomas talked about, about Hymenius and Philetus in 2.17. Paul used the illustration of those whose words were unholy, caused sickness. The sickness is that it spread like gossip, like gangrene, he gives us as an illustration. Or we see in 2.18, the phrase swerved from the truth suggests those who have frankly, just missed the mark. I think we've all missed the mark. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. The impact of Hymenaeus and and, and Philetus' heresy was felt throughout the church in that time. The, The sin of the ungodly cannot shake, though, the foundation of God. For God has established it, and that foundation is sealed with two truths. The Lord knows those who are his. And those who confess the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. And so as we try to abstain from that which is unholy, it I don't know about you, I'm sure it's just me, right? But it is difficult sometimes to love certain people. And so you start to realize, right, that it's difficult. I know personally that I've spent 53 years behind that person in a grocery store aisle who thinks that the middle is the best place to camp out. And you sit there like, oh, where am I gonna, I'll just go all the way around. Right, and so we start to deal with, with people. God's servants must practice holiness. Our first point of the day is that we are to be a vessel of honor. Verses 19 through 23 talk specifically about this. But I want you to equally understand whom your audience is. Your audience is the Lord. In verses 20 and 21, he clearly states that you are to be a vessel of honor. And you're to be a vessel of honor because you work to an audience of one. It's all about Christ. We get so caught up in our mindsets that today must be about my children or today must be about my spouse. Let me tell you, you can't adequately take care of your children or your spouse unless you're performing to an audience of one. To be a vessel of honor. Those who become vessels of honor will in fact be made holy. The final three images are outlined of the charge Timothy was to bring to the people. The them in verse 14, 
Timothy was to admonish or warn those faithful believers not to quarrel about words. How we love as a world to quarrel about words. Just turn the news on. It's the sin report. And they're going to tell you all these things. And then we have this tendency to think that we're going to change maybe someone's political view by posting it on social media. I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, if you're doing that, stop. Because what you need to be proclaiming is the very word of God and set people free with the truth of the gospel. Amen. To place their faith in the person of Jesus Christ. When you get to heaven, you will not register as a Republican or a Democrat. When you get to heaven, you will in fact worship the King of Kings. Timothy was to admonish. He was to go after those faithful believers not to quarrel about words. In fact, look at it. In 1 Timothy 6.4, it says this. He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions. That's all of social media. The comparison of other people is the robber of all joy from your life. People are posting their highlights and your brain is in its lowlights. Cling to the cross. Cling to the person of Jesus Christ. Forget the words, forget the pictures, and just look at the image of the person of Jesus Christ through his word. There's a danger in these words. Paul warned us in verse 14, he said that they're useless. He also said that they lead to ruin. In verse 16, he said it leads to further ungodliness. In verse 17, he said it spreads like gangrene. Instead, we are to, in verse 15, be diligent because the word carries the idea of being zealous, zealous to making great effort. Keep at something is what he's saying until it is accomplished. If you didn't do it yesterday, do everything you can today to do it today. To separate yourself from the world. To differentiate yourself by rightly handling the word of God. In fact, one of the marks of a vessel of honor is someone who rightly handles the word. Therefore, the antidote to useless words as seen in 2.14 and 2.16, is the correct use of God's words to be a diligent worker of God's truth. Your job is to handle that word accurately. In fact, in 2.23, right, he tells us, tells us, I'm sorry, I got my notes out of order. He tells us that we are, in fact, supposed to um, be useful to the master. Be prepared for every good work. A vessel of honor is marked by its usefulness to the master. The value is not in the type of vessel, but in the sanctified use. You can, in fact, be a paper plate, or you can, in fact, be fine china. But the usefulness is found in the good work that it produces for the master. A vessel of honor is marked by this usefulness. You might, in fact, title this message, Remind Them. 
But here are the charges that Paul gave Timothy to entrust. Verse 22, he says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Thus, there are some things that must be avoided. The two imperatives here are flee and pursue. Believers are to flee youthful passions and they're to pursue those honorable things. Believers are to pursue holy things with those who call on the name of the Lord. We team up as one community, as one congregation, as a group of believers that hold in common our faith in the person of Jesus Christ, and we bring forward good tidings, great news. We bring the joy of the gospel. Look, 1 Timothy 1.5 says, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and good conscience and a sincere faith. He then goes on to warn us in 23, he says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. Look at 1 Timothy 6, 4. He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words. These words which produce envy, dissension, slander, and evil suspicions. The word here is, is mache, right? It's the quarrel or conflict, it's fighting. It's distinct from the quarrels that are referred to in Romans 14 about eating of vegetables and meat. It's a completely different word. It's, it's dialogmus, right? Reasoning or thought or doubt about argument or dispute. But when he says in 2.23 is about foolish, ignorant controversies, quarrels about words, this is about unprofitable controversy. Unprofitable controversy. If you're spending your time arguing with your brothers and sisters over the end times, whether it is pre-millennial, post-millennial, or amillennial, why don't you focus on the point? Jesus Christ is coming home. He's coming to get his own. And he could be here today. Are you ready for him? I don't need to talk about the order and the sequence and argue with my brothers and sisters because those words divide. Here's the words that unite. Jesus Christ is coming back for his own. When we start to think about these quarrels, we can't fight over our end times or eschatology. I don't care if you think the world is old or young. When we get to Genesis, I want you to understand clearly that it doesn't matter whether you think it's old or young. Here's what matters. God. God created it. We need to focus on words that unify. I don't really care if you're an Arminian or a Calvinist and you have controversy between these five particular points or that you're dissatisfied with someone mentioning that the elect or the called or the appointed or the predestined, it doesn't matter whether you agree with me on this, but you must wrestle with it because God wrote it in his word. It doesn't matter. These are things that cause division amongst brothers and sisters, and it's not healthy, and it's not being a vessel of honor with the audience being Jesus Christ himself. That's where we need to be focused. Our second point is to be a servant of the Lord. In verse 24, he says, and the Lord's servant 
must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Look at that word, everyone. Even that person who's blocking traffic when they could easily pull their car over. Even the person stuck in the aisle. Or the person who doesn't know how to go through TSA at the airport. (laughs) Be kind to everyone. Able to teach patiently, enduring evil. Let me tell you why. Because you never know what that other person is actually going through. It's the old story, right? The man gets onto the subway car in New York City. Another man gets on and he has two young children. And the children are all running around in mass chaos. They're being children. And as they're disturbing the whole thing, the man who's the father, his head is back and his eyes are closed. And the man sitting across from him says, Sir, can you get control of your kids? And the man sits up and he's got tears streaming down his face and he simply looks at the man and he says, You're right. You're right. Kids, come here. Kids, please. He says, I'm so sorry. He says, we just came from the hospital where their mother passed away. And I just simply don't know what to do. Is it possible that we don't know what the other people are going through and that the requirement of us is actually to just simply be kind? That you could differentiate yourself all those who raise their hands, you can differentiate yourself from the rest of the world if you would just simply apply one simple thing here, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. You need to understand that you're to be a servant of the Lord, but you also need to know that your audience when you're being a servant to the Lord is the lost around you. Strong words for the Lord's servant. He's telling us that we must instruct others for purpose of leading them ultimately to repentance. That we should not be quarrelsome, but instead be kind. And the reason why we do this is that they may come to their senses. Right? Sin makes people nonsensical. One of my sisters who is a self-proclaimed atheist is nonsensical about her understanding of God and Christianity. She recognizes there's a difference between the true Christian and the world, but it's still nonsensical. And maybe it would be kindness of God that would lead her ultimately to repentance. It's that they may escape the snare of the devil. You see, verse 25 says, correcting his opponents with gentleness. We often forget that part, don't we? We immediately go to the correcting, but we forget the gentleness. Praeotes, right? This gentleness that he's talking about here in the Greek is about meekness. I remember when I worked for a company out of Alaska. Alaska, it's a different land, right? I mean, so I only had to go up there about once a month or so, but we sponsored. So in America, or down in the lower 48 company, you may sponsor a NASCAR driver, right? In Alaska, you sponsor an Iditarod dog sled person. (laughs) And so we sponsored a gentleman one year, and he won. And he came to our executive meeting, and he was explaining the anguish at times of temperatures, 
with a wind chill of negative 70, keeping your dogs alive, keeping them going. And he says, I wish I could take all the credit. He says, but it's the meek dog that won this race. And he explained to us the meek dog. He says, the meek dog is the front left dog. He says, he is strong. He says, but he's attentive to hearing his master. He says, because if I tell him left, he leads all the other dogs left. If I tell him right, then he leads all the other dogs right. If I tell him to pick up the pace, he picks up the pace for all of the other dogs. He says that, he says the two dogs that are closest to me, they're dumber than a sack of hammers. <laughs> they're strong, don't get me wrong, but they're really dumb. We're to be the meek dog, to gently lead and correct the people around us to the direction of the master's calling. That's what we're to do. You see, this gentleness that we see in 1 Timothy 6.11 says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Or Galatians 6.1, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, any sin, you who are spiritual should gossip about them and tell the rest of the world how horrible an individual they are. <laughs> oh no, I'm sorry, I misread that because I want to be a good handler of the word here, right? So transgressions, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. I remember one of my favorite quotes came from Charles Haddon Spurgeon where a lady came to him and said, Pastor Spurgeon, I believe you to be the best preacher that's ever existed. And he says, yes, ma'am. He says, and the devil has already told me that. <laughs> when you start to realize that we can so easily become tempted into the snare of the devil rather than humbly submitting ourselves in gentleness and kindness. Or Titus 3.2, which says, to speak evil of no one how many people do you get to speak evil about? No one. To avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people, even the people in the middle of the aisle, people on your freeway, even the person who can't seem to manage to get through TSA. All people. He warns us in 26, he says, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. You see, all these controversies are the devil's way of dividing brothers and sisters. To be captured, Zorio, right? To capture alive, to take alive, to take prisoner, a war instead of killing, to take captive. That's what the devil's trying to do to you and to me, to divide us, 
to separate us because he doesn't want all the glory to go to the one who is the glory. In 1 Timothy 3, 7, he says, moreover, he, talking about the them, you and me, that raised their hand, must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. You see, you can't just be a Christian on Sundays. It's got to be with you 24-7 everywhere you go. The overview of what he's done from verses 14 through 26, as Thomas spoke last week, is to be an approved worker. But I want you to remember who your audience is of being an approved worker. You're an approved worker, and the audience is of our words. All those who can hear you saying what you say. So when someone hears you gossiping about someone, you're not representing Christ. You're representing the devil. You must be an approved worker with your words, and your audience is your audience. You must be a vessel of honor. And you must remember that your honor is to an audience of one. It's not to the person on your left or your right. We're not here to impress each other with what we know of God's word. What we're here for is to the glory of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Thirdly, you must be a servant of the Lord and you can't forget who your audience is when you're a servant to the Lord, it's the lost. Amen. How will they come to a knowledge of him without the preaching and the hearing of his word? God chose to put you as a vessel of honor to model the person of Jesus Christ so that your dash on your headstone will reflect the person of Jesus Christ. As Paul once said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I had a pastor who once told me this one simple phrase. He says, I'd like you to change that. He says, not altering the word of God, but I want you to really absorb what Paul's saying here. For me to live is Christ and to die is more Christ. That's what he's calling us to. He's calling us to differentiate ourselves because if you look like the world, then there will be no world to change. Will history speak of you as his story? You see, that's what you want your history to be, his story. When someone stands up here and eulogizes you, I, I don't want to hear, here lies a good man. There's no good man. There's only a great God. I want the person to be standing before saying, here lies a person who was not only an approved worker and spoke well with his word, but he, was, he or she was a vessel of honor and served Christ. And this person is a servant of the Lord and was used to lead people to the knowledge of Jesus Christ through their gentleness and their kindness. Because you can't change the world if you, don't look, if you look like the world. Amen. We're about to sing this great song. And in it, it talks about how we're prone to wander. 
I want us, like it says, like a fetter, to cling, to handcuff essentially our ankle to the stone, to this great stone that Samuel talked about when he says, I raise my Ebenezer. He's talking about the stone of hope, the stone of help. Where does our help come from? Right, where does it come? It comes from Christ and Christ alone. It is through his word that lives will be transformed, not your effort. But it is our responsibility to model the person of Jesus Christ, not only in our homes and our businesses and everywhere we go, even in the TSA line. We are there to model the person of Jesus Christ and take every opportunity to share the truth of the gospel. Our Father, we thank you so much for your word, for your kindness, that you have pursued us all the days of our lives and you, you are here with us even now. I pray, Lord, that as we are in fact prone to wander, that we would turn and cling to you, the author and the perfecter of our faith, that our lives would be living testimonies and that our dash would glorify you in the highest way possible. Use us, O oh Lord, to differentiate ourselves from the world. And may your work cause an awakening and a revival in this world that we have never seen before. To God be the glory. Amen to that, right? Now, today, right here, right now, for those of you who raised your hand when I started, look to Jesus Amen. and live. To live in faith, but to show and model the kindness of God. And for those of you who are here who are uncertain of your eternal destination, would you look to Jesus and live? Would you confess Christ as Lord? If you want to pray, there's people that will be here to pray with you, or if you want to pray with me or any one of the other pastors or anyone that part of this congregation, not just pastors, any person who professes the name of Christ, will you talk to them and say, I want to give my life to follow Christ. I want what these Christians have, the beauty of a Savior. To God be the glory. Love you guys. We'll see you next week.